1954, the Vietnam War that the French were fighting with, actually it was the Americans fighting using French troops. Um, <clears throat> it ended with a Geneva conference which set up uh, certain uh, guidelines for the future, the most important of which was that there would be an election in 1956 or, or a plebiscite to oversee the, the uh, reunification of North and South Vietnam, which America didn't sign that, those agreements and it said it wouldn't do anything to oppose them, but that, that was absolutely not true. They went all out to prevent that election from happening. And Eisenhower justified saying everyone, everyone said that the communists would win by a vote of 80%. Well, they also set up a control commission, and this is all pure just coincidence, but the, the, the control commission was India's chair Canada to, to in the place of America and Poland in the place of the Soviet Union. So that what that meant in practice was that in our little, it was a legation first in Warsaw. We had with three officers. We were an embassy by the time I left, and a stack of cables would come in about this high, about Laos because there was a Laos crisis in 1961, and somebody in the embassy had to read about this in case Poland and Canada ever met to discuss Laos, which never happened, by the way. But those cables had to be read, and that was the job of the most junior member of the embassy, which was me. And so in that way, I had a certain amount of exposure I didn't read them with great interest. I found them, I was not interested in Southeast Asia at that time. But enough stuck in my mind. What I mostly remembered was that the American positions taken in Laos were unpopular, even with the British and the Australians. And that was the Australians, because I got into trouble at the UN. I, I was a bit of a pink at the UN. The, um, the, the poor Ukrainians at the UN wanted to have a world uh, malaria year or world earth year or something. And, and so this was part of the Cold War. We all met, how do we stop the Ukrainians from having their year? And, I, I didn't object very thing, but I said, couldn't we just give them this and maybe we could do that? I ended up with a bottle of vodka from the Ukrainians and a very small little tab of caviar. Um, and um, I'm getting off the subject, but um, I was very bitterly opposed by the Australian there, who was more, more pro-American really than the Americans practically. But on Laos... The American position was unpopular, even with the Australians. That's all really I remembered from weekly supplies of cables about this high. But it got me, at when it, things heated up at uh, Berkeley, um, I was concerned that the, the American position was going to be a bad one that would be bad for America, and seeing you brought it up, I'll mention once again, I, I'm not really an activist 
But somebody, a mathematician, came to me with a petition to for America to stay out of where well, we were already in Vietnam, but not to wage a war in Vietnam. It was very badly written, and so I rewrote it. Not not enough. Uh, but a little bit and signed it. He came back the next year, and I, this time, did a very heavy rewrite and signed it again. And meanwhile, I had a class in the speech department. We we had a lot of pre-legal students there, and there was a course in argumentation. And so I designed a course where we read the British, the French, the Russians, and the Chinese their takes on what was happening in Indochina. And uh, it got around that I was the guy who knew something about Indochina, which was really not true, uh, except what the research I did for my course, which was much more intense than the way I read all those cables. Um, but when in, in 19, early January of 65, this is after the free speech movement, and uh, the campus is still very much on edge. And the war is heating up. That is the year when the, the hot war really began, full blast in Vietnam. We went to a little beach nearby in February of that year, and we, we saw an LST uh, coming, coming ashore with a bunch of Marines on it, and they were rehearsing the landing that they were going to do at Da Nang, I think, in Vietnam, two weeks or three weeks later. And in that context, a pro-war Jesuit came to Berkeley and wanted to debate the war, and the fickle finger of fate pointed at me as the gullible pink who would be devastated by this Jesuit in a debate. So I think that was the first time that the Vietnam War was discussed on the Berkeley campus. And uh, then I was, uh, in, you know, uh, not by design, but by accident, I was now the designate. We had the first teach-in. There were two teach-ins uh, one day apart. The first one was actually at Michigan. Second one one day later was at Berkeley, but they were synchronized. And uh, I remember John Searle, the philosopher, came to me and said, you're going to be the speaker. And I said, no, I'm a Canadian. You need an American. He said, there aren't any. There's no one here who knows anything about Vietnam. Most people didn't even know which continent Vietnam was on. You know, that was how far it was. They had heard of Indochina, but the, we weren't talking about Indochina anymore because the... They'd been, it had been broken up by the Geneva Accords. Uh, so uh, we, we've, I've jumped a bit ahead here, but all those events folded one out of the other. And it's a little bit of a synecdoche for my life because uh, it's like going to Poland and then ending up translating Polish poetry with Miłosz. Things led to quite different things. That was just an excerpt from the American Exception podcast. To hear the whole episode, as well as archived and new episodes, please subscribe to the American Exception podcast at Patreon. There's a link in the show notes, or you can just go to patreon.com slash American Exception. Subscribe, and you can join us as we illuminate the dark side of the U.S. empire. 